There is a hole in the world. I, I am sure, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, that it felt like there was a hole in the world. And I'm sure for a lot of people in our world, it feels like there's a hole in the world. But Jesus, the great hole filler, shows up. Shows up on the scene and fills every hole, every sorrow, has the ability to come into every one of those gaps and do what none of us can do for ourselves. So we want to talk about that for a few minutes uh, today. If you have your Bibles, just pull out um, or open up to the book of Mark, chapter 11. If you don't have your Bible, you can see it up on the screen, starting with verse 1. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany in the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went, they found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and they untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt, Jesus... To Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts, and he looked around at everything. There is so much in this scripture, so much for us to be excited about. I have a question I want to start out with uh, this morning for all of us, and it's simply this. Why do you go to church? Why, why, what is the reason? There's a lot of reasons that people go to church, but why do you go to church? Now, when you ponder that question, I don't want you just to think about what you think should be said in answering it, but really, why do you go to church? Some people might say, I go to church because of habit. I was just raised that way. It's just something I do. It's what I do on Sundays. I go to church. Uh, Some people go to church to get to see their friends. It's, It's a convenient time in the week for everybody to be able to get together, so they like to go to church to see their friends. Some people uh, go to church because they feel guilty. Perhaps you're here today um, because you feel guilty, and if you don't go to church, you even feel more guilty, so who wants to feel even more guilty? So you come just to alleviate a little bit of guilty feeling. Some might be here because, or you might go to church because you just like to recharge your batteries. It's that maybe one of those places in the, in the series of events during your week that feels like you get a little bit of recharge or rest. Nobody's really asking a lot out of you. You can always ignore anytime anybody's asking you to serve, so that's good. Um, uh, maybe you go to church. Some people go to church for business contacts. Um, You know, they go because they're trying to get career advancement, and perhaps uh, I've had these conversations over the years. Some people go to church for business. Do you think we should encourage that? 
I don't really think that that's really what we should be going to church for. It might happen, but I don't think that's why we should be in church. Um, I've heard people say before that are single that they go to church because it's a good place to find a, a, a guy or a girl. It's a good place to maybe find a spouse. And uh, even as I'm saying this, all of you, those of you that are single that weren't thinking that before are getting a little creeped out even by me saying that. And the truth is, is uh, it's probably not too bad of a thing like Ron and Linda. They met in church and seemed to be a good thing for them, right? So it's not half bad. It seems like a good place to find a spouse. But then there's the creepy people, right? There's the creepy people that are almost like they are anti-church growth. You know the people if you're single, you've probably already talked to them. Maybe the reason you're here this week is because last week you were in a different church and that guy that you just couldn't get away from, you finally said he's just too creepy. You know what the problem with creepy people is? They generally don't think they're creepy or they just don't know it. And even if they do know it, they don't care. They just become more creepy. I could go on about that, but um, I've had people tell me before that they come to church because it's just good for your morals. Um, and even people that have no faith at all would say at times that they come to church because there's no good atheist preschool or daycare. So at least here, my kids will get some character building and I can just ignore the faith part of it. However, I think that maybe for all of us, we go to church because there's a longing in us that beyond all of those other things, all of the other pieces that might uh, draw us, and some of those aren't bad at all, and some of those are just whatever. But I think at the core of us, we have a longing, and we come to church, we come into a faith community, because we're searching for something. We are searching for something more, and that's what I want to talk to you about, because I believe that in this scripture, that's what we see happening, is a bunch of people that are searching and longing and hungering for more. And Jesus has been fulfilling some of the things that have been going beyond their imagination and they are interacting with it and it's just profound and powerful and they can't get enough of it. Therefore, when he shows up that day to enter into Jerusalem, there's a celebration going on because they're hoping beyond hope that perhaps the longing and the searching in their own soul could be met, first of all, by the presence of God, the experience. We come to church, perhaps, at our core to experience God. There's nothing like it. We're hoping to feel the presence of God, maybe during a song, and some of us, maybe many of us can relate to this, if not all of us, Maybe we've had that experience that you can't deny the presence of God. When you interact with the presence of God, it's like nothing else. Could happen during a service, could happen during a prayer that's prayed by you or others, could happen when a scripture is read that God has, a, has that by his presence and power, has the ability to cause the scripture to come so alive to us. Maybe a scripture that we've read 10 or 15, 20 times could be a reading, it could be a video we see, could be interaction with other people, could be the message, could be the encouragement that we receive just in general. Maybe it happened already for you in communion that you just, you had that moment where beyond what the person giving you communion said to you that God met you in that place, there is nothing like 
experiencing the presence of God. It could be just sitting, being quiet in those moments where there's just that moment of being able to breathe and meditate and maybe for the first time in your whole week being able to just pay attention to the fact that God is present in this place. Maybe some of you walked in at times and you have felt useless or you have been down or felt broken or maybe even guilty from things that you had recently done, things that you didn't know how to get over. And then there was somehow, some way, an invitation by God that you knew you weren't even thinking about before you heard it. And it was an invitation, possibly, it was that experience of the presence of God, an invitation to maybe even make a painful decision that was hard, or maybe it was a decision that was hard but wasn't really painful, but it was still a hard decision. There's nothing like those moments, and I believe that that's at our core, why we come to church, why we come into a community setting of wanting to experience the presence of God. If you've ever, ever experienced the presence, if you've ever felt it in your head, your heart, or your gut, if you sense the presence of God, it's indescribable. I've had those moments myself, and I know that many of us in this room, if not all of us, have as well. Maybe it was in a church setting. Maybe it was in a sanctuary raising my hands and listening and God speaking prophetically into my heart. Or maybe it was when I was driving in a vehicle. Or maybe when it was, there's been times walking in the woods or sitting in my office at home since the moment that I gave my life to Christ. And actually, I would say even before I gave my life to Christ, having those moments, being touched by the presence of God, these folks were lining the streets just wanting what we all long for. Now, a little bit of uh, information around this scripture. It's interesting because the first thing you notice that Jesus does after we have this parade, and there's this interesting stuff that happens. You ever read the scripture and you're like, why are we talking about cults and people throwing down palm leaves and there's all this stuff? Do we really, couldn't this be a more condensed version of this scripture? And is there really reason for all of that? And why do we even talk about the temple? Why does Jesus go into the temple? And this is the part of scripture. If you missed it a couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus going in and cleansing the temple. This is what happens. He enters into Jerusalem, and that's where he goes, right to the temple. And this is the starting of that. Now, to understand, it's a little bit different for us because we think of the temple as being like church, like we go to church. But the temple was not like we go to church. There were temples all over the place. The temple was kind of a palace to the God. Not just necessarily this temple that we're talking about, but it was not uncommon for there to be, for instance, in, in, uh, in Rome, there would be temples all over the place. Even to this day, you can go to Rome, and they weren't, they weren't Jewish temples, they were just temples to the God that whoever they were worshiping. So whatever the God was, that was kind of like their palace, and people would go to the temple to ask for forgiveness from their God, whoever their God was that they were seeking or serving. And then they would ask kind of for favor. Now, it's interesting because the temple that we're talking about here, this is the Jewish temple. And there is only one Jewish temple. 
because it's communicating a spiritual uh, and theological principle. They believed in one God. They didn't believe in a multiplied number of gods. So there's this one temple. So the temple is a huge place to the Jewish nation. They believe it's the place that God lived. It's where they went. It's where they offered their sacrifices. It's where they would give their requests. It's where the perfect God, in their belief, lived in this perfect temple. That's why when you read, for instance, in the Old Testament about the exactness of the temple, the For instance, the holy of holies being 20 by 20 by 20 cubits is the holy place. And then it's it's, uh, got this overlay of gold around it. And there's this incense that's constantly going, this beautiful smell. And there's incredible detail to how the priest, the garments the priest would wear. And it it wasn't unintentional. It was a reflection, actually, of the Garden of Eden. The temple was a reflection best they could because they understood that sin happened in the garden, and once sin happened, they were no longer allowed in the garden. If you kind of study through the garden, you see there's this reflection in the temple from the garden. They're doing their best to have this place. See, the temple is the place, the one place in the world, the one place in all of the world that God dwells, and it has to be perfect What was lost in Eden due to sin is now offered in the temple. It's perfection again, and it's forgiveness. And it's into that temple that Jesus, he wasn't unfamiliar with the temple. A few of the times, first of all, right after he was born, he was taken to the temple to be dedicated by his parents. The scripture says that Mary and Joseph took him and that they used as a sacrifice, which was part of your child being dedicated, they brought doves, which simply meant they were really poor. Because that's what the poor gave for sacrifice was doves. He went back when he was 12 years old. Maybe some of you are familiar with the story. He's there with his parents. They're there for a festival, and the parents are in a big caravan. Mary and Joseph take off, and it's actually more than a day later when they realize, where's our 12-year-old? Well, Jesus is still in the temple. He loves the temple. He's there teaching And he tells his parents, he says, I'm in my father's house when they go back to find him. One point in scripture, we find that Jesus reads and teaches in the temple and then tells out of the book of Isaiah that this reading is is actually coming to pass in your midst. It's a prophecy about his own life. So Jesus celebrated and upheld that tradition and strengthened it. And then we come to this and it all begins to shift. See, because Jesus wanted to change the narrative, and it's no mistake. You ever go somewhere and it really lets you down? Like you, maybe a vacation or that place you've been really waiting to go, and you spend a lot of money, and you get there, and you find out it lets you down. For most people, they call that the magic kingdom. Anyway, you go, it's, it's expensive, it's hot, the rides, the, the waiting for the rides is long, it's expensive. Did I mention it's expensive? And, you know, it's, it's the happiest place on earth, they say, but I think that's only for the stockholders of Disney. But you ever go to one of those places and you're disappointed And I think everybody should go to the happiest place on earth. You should go to Disney just so you realize that there are other places that might be more happy. I'm not trying to diss out Disney. 
But the fact is, is the temple's got problems. There's problems at the temple at this point. The Romans control the temple. The priest's vestments are actually held by the Romans. Their garments. I remember a friend of ours, Claire and I, a friend of ours that did missionary work in in Russia and China uh, and still does missionary work, is in China, has been there for years, and we would have these conversations about the national church in some of these communist countries and how they want to say, like, well, we let Christianity happen, but what they really do is they, very, they control it. They call the shots. That's kind of what the Romans were doing. The government was calling the shots on what was going on in the temple. They wanted to have control over it. The temple was full of huge business. We know that that's part of why Jesus ends up turning over tables. 25%, it's estimated, 25% of the total employment in Jerusalem was directly tied to the temple. 25%. One Passover alone averaged 266,000 sheep being slaughtered for sacrifice. That's big business. Any farmer here would say that's incredible business. And it just went on and on. The doves for the poor people that they would bring for sacrifice had to be, had to be um, certified. And of course, those certifying took advantage with their pricing, and they were the ones that were selling the doves. Then you had to pay a temple tax, and you paid it in Roman, or you, if you came with Roman currency, you couldn't use your Roman currency. It had to be exchanged into Hebrew shekels, and the exchange rate was controlled by the people that were doing the exchange. So obviously there was a lot of abuse going on. This was not the happiest place on earth in spite of the fact that the Jewish nation believed that this was the perfect place where God dwelt and it's into this that Jesus comes and enters into the city that day and directly goes to the temple. Then there's the different groups of people, the zealots, they're nationalists that are willing to use violence at any, at any uh, moment to revolt against the Romans. There's the Pharisees who have gotten to the point in their own belief system where they have begun to convert their homes and their own environment into what they were believing as something that would resemble the temple environment. They were kind of withdrawing themselves from that place. They wanted the perfect environment, but they realized it couldn't happen there, so they started to do it at their own home and started to live deeply religious uh, with their own children and friends. When you came into a Pharisee's home, you had to eat a certain way. There was a group that some of us or many of us are probably not familiar with, not a huge group, but it was the Qumrans, and they just forbade going at all. It was a small group of Jews, and then, of course, the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees cooperated with the Romans. They were, so to speak, kind of in bed with them, so they had this agreement. It's like, you scratch my back, and I'll scratch yours, and it's into that that Jesus says, I will not align myself with any of this. Jesus' message is simple, and he had started saying this slowly, but it really takes off in this last week. Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. That perfect place, that place of forgiveness, that place that you have been longing and searching for, it is not in this temple It is in me. I am the temple. It comes to a head as he begins the entry. There's this culmination. 
He basically says God's kingdom is not where you have been thinking, but it is where I am. It had started back in Mark 2, for instance, with one of the early miracles. You might remember the miracle. Jesus uh, is, is teaching in this house, and there's this paralyzed guy, and his four buddies take him. They can't get him into the house because it's so crowded there, so they take him to the roof of the house, and they literally peel open the roof and lower him down to get him in Jesus' presence because they didn't really understand it, but what they, were, what they were starting to experience is the kingdom of God was not in a temple, it was with this guy. The presence and the power of God was resident in his life. So they lower him down, and it's really interesting because you went to the temple for forgiveness, you went to the temple for perfection, but all of a the sudden they're lowering this guy down in front of Jesus, and the first thing that he tells him is, your sins are forgiven. And he's like, I didn't ask for my sins to forgiven. And then he heals them as well. It's like, I was just here for a healing. I didn't even ask for my sins to be forgiven. Well, to us, that just seems like, well, that's just a nice add-on. But to those that were religious, that was humongous. That was unbelievable. Because you only go to the temple to receive healing and forgiveness. That's where you go for those things. And so it starts, the tension and Jesus being a target. See, the hope and the desire of the temple is now a reality in Jesus. And it will be one of the main motivations of his crucifixion, ultimately. It was in this that Jesus was bringing an elimination to the temple system as it was known You might remember when he says, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. He was talking about himself. We know that now. We understand it. In hindsight, they were just totally confused when he'd make these statements. So here we are, their version of a ticker tape parade. Jesus entering into Jerusalem, their version of rolling out the red carpet. And then at the end of this portion of Scripture, Jesus enters into the temple and begins to clear out the temple. Some of us would say he cleansed the temple. And then at one point in the cleansing of the temple, a little bit later in Mark, it says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. This was hugely offensive. See, Jesus wasn't coming to cleanse the temple. Jesus wasn't coming to just make the temple better. It didn't need tidying up. It needed to be eliminated. Because he is the house. He is the cornerstone. Jesus was coming to put an end to that which was inadequate. When Jesus makes this audacious comment that his house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, for everyone, every Jew that heard it, took really clear notice. How in the world would you ever say that? Jesus was saying there is no one that will ever be created or has been created that isn't invited. There's no one outside of my love. There's no one outside of the ability to receive my salvation. Gentiles and Romans and one day Americans, everybody's welcome. But you've made it a den of thieves and robbers. 
Jesus saying, look, enough of this injustice for the poor, for the outcast, for the broken, enough. I'm here. The kingdom of God is here. It's called the cleansing of the temple, but it's just not the cleansing of the temple. The cornerstone arrives. Paul says it this way, kind of takes it to the next level. He says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. See, they were experiencing, and the thing we long for is an experience with God. It's one of the things we long for, but perhaps what Jesus is trying to communicate is there's something even more important. Not that the experience with God's presence is important, but there is something possibly more important than experiencing God's presence, and that is to be God's presence. See, Jesus was not only saying that he was the temple, but then he was, saying, he was not only saying that the kingdom of God has arrived, but then he began to include every person as invited into a part of that kingdom to carry that kingdom presence with, with us. In the men's meeting this week, one of the guys said we were having a great conversation. One of the guys that's been, he gave his life to Christ almost a year ago now. And he said, you know, I've noticed in the time that uh, I've been serving God, and then probably before that, I'm assuming he was talking about, but he says, I I think there's kind of like two different kinds of Christians. He says, it seems like there's the Christians by name. There's the people that, you know, they want to be considered to be Christians. They talk about it. And then there's what I, he said, I forget the exact word he used, but he said, and then there's the Christians, they're like Christians by reality, like they really, you know, you're around them and you just know it's just a part of the way that they live and they breathe. You can kind of feel the presence of God in them. And this is what Jesus is starting to get at beautifully in this little encounter is that there is the experience, the Christian by name. It's kind of the consumerism part of our Christianity. We receive these amazing, powerful, profound moments in our life by Christ. But the invitation isn't just to experience God's presence. As amazing as that is, if we keep it at that place, it's just not what the fullness of what God invites us to. What God invites us to is experience his presence, but carry his presence. Remember that donkey or the colt? I'm sorry, the colt in the story? This colt like shows. Why so much attention to the colt? Because I believe the colt is a prophetic picture, among other things, of you and I. Of the reality of carrying the presence of God within and upon. Luke 17, 21 says this, no one will say, look, here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God Within, is within you. I love, I, for some reason, I'm drawn to the original language that the kingdom of God within you is. So you have this donkey. Jesus says, go find, or this colt, go find this colt. Sends a couple of disciples. They find the colt tied and bound, walking. Once, when an animal, you ever see an animal uh, 
a colt tied and bound, tied to a post, to just kind of walk in circles. And it's this picture of how we were walking in circles. And it's interesting, the Old Te- in the Old Testament, when a colt was, was let free, it had to be redeemed by a lamb. That was the law. So Jesus literally redeems this colt. And that's how we are. That's the invitation to be redeemed. And then Jesus says, release that colt. I want you to bring it to me. He sends two disciples to do it. Go to the village and untie that colt. In other words, I want you as the body of Christ, I want you as people that know me, I want you to go untie that colt and release it into its destiny and purpose for years. Imagine, for for however long this colt would just watch different animals, people, just tied to that post, kind of a picture of our life before Christ, just watching life go by. But then Jesus sends out his team, and he says, go untie them, release them. And then, most importantly, Jesus gets on the colt. And the colt would be carrying the presence of God, the word of God, into Jerusalem. I just picture this cult. It's almost cartoonish in a way, but this cult probably had his head down, but all of a sudden, could you imagine this cult? Jesus gets on this cult, and all I just got to believe is his, his head was higher, right? Like all of a sudden, it's like, well, what is it? Jesus is on me, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm bringing Jesus into town. Like this courage welled up. He carries the presence in triumph. That's why it's called the triumphal entry. Because Jesus is about to do away with a system that did not work. And he came to bring full life. And it's the invitation for us. Experience the presence of God. And to carry the presence of God. It's interesting, you know, you read in the book of Revelation chapter 19, and it says that Jesus shows up on this white horse. Maybe that cult grows up, and Jesus defeats every enemy army riding on a white horse. Could be that cult's growing up even now. So as we enter into this, this week, as we enter into this beautiful week, the invitation for us is, first of all, to open ourselves to experiencing the presence of God. Every opportunity we get, we certainly don't need to be in this room to have that happen, right? And then secondly, and I would say certainly, maybe even more importantly, is that we would carry the presence of God wherever we go. Will you all stand with us? Erica, would you hand me my clipboard if it's right there? And, and you know, I'm thinking when you are asking us to carry the presence of Christ, what, mm-hmm. what that might look like. We, we know what our week holds. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some things you can never know, but we have some ideas. You have some ideas what your week holds. And the invitation is to carry the presence of Christ. So just in a moment, as we begin to um, you know, think about this week on on. Uh, Friday, we have Good Friday services. On Sunday, there are people. In fact, I, I wonder if you would even um, just um, begin to pray for the seat you're sitting in and for the seats next to you and say, you know, people who 
really are still walking in circles that they would come to know the God who can set them free, yes. right? And, um, and so we're going to have a week that we can bring the kingdom of God to work. And we might just bring people, uh, you know, to, um, to uh, a place where they can experience the presence of God. So let's pray for a moment and begin to hold people in your heart um, before God. And all those that need the presence of God and need the presence of God within you. And allow the words of Jesus to fill your heart. There is a kingdom coming here today. That the kingdom of God within you is... And the kingdom is going where you're going tomorrow morning and on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that the kingdom of God within you is. And begin to thank God that God is entrusting you with God's kingdom. And let your head be held high, knowing that God wants the kingdom to come through you, that it's not just in the building, and it is in the building. That in every place you go, there's a kingdom coming. There is a kingdom coming here today. There is a kingdom coming here today. Waiting, believing, our God is alive. There is a kingdom coming here today. There is a fire this whole place.
bless you guys. Take the invitation with you and watch with your eyes what God will do through you. Have a beautiful week. See you on Good Friday and certainly on Easter Sunday.